0: Okay, welcome to Wednesday night Bible study. Tonight we are part twelve of the book of Daniel. We're going to conclude Daniel tonight, and uh, next week we will be in the book of uh, in the Revelation to, to John, uh, because it's end time events. What we're dealing with tonight is going to finish some of the one of the visions uh, that Daniel had, and then chapter twelve is going to be about some end time events. And uh, we'll kind of walk through that. And so, to go to transition to Revelation is a natural thing here because we're talking so much about end time events. And then also remember, next week I'm going to start um, broadcasting live on on Facebook as we as we do this. So, but remember the key to Daniel, it's just dreams and visions about four countries, actually five countries that tried to establish world domination. But what you see in these four and five different countries that try to do world domination is you see types and shadows of end-time events, what will happen when the Antichrist comes. So these kind of share some of the things because what world conquerors, you know, it's, it's all sort of the same thing. First, it's they, want, they, want, they want power, then they want wealth, then they want political power, and then they want religious power. And it's kind of the same story. So as we read this, we're seeing, because you're wondering, okay, why is he telling Nebuchadnezzar this? Why is he talking about the Medo-Persian Empire that he was a part of? And then why does he go into this whole thing about Greece and, uh, and Alexander the Great and then talk about Rome, which is to come. All this stuff was going to, for Daniel, his future tense. And what does it mean? Well, it's all types and shadows of who the end crisis is going to be, because also it talks about the 70 weeks, and this, we're going to talk a little bit more about this tonight. Uh, um, you know, end time events. So I put on your handout there something I read to you last week, but I wanted you to have a copy of it. Key to Daniel. Daniel reveals history through a theological perspective, as history, history as history is under the eye of God, spiritual and earthly. History books tell the story without God's involvement. Daniel's apocalyptic meaning, end time, is end time because it represents future historical events that are to take place within God's plan to history to its proper and to bring. Um, typo there, to bring history to its proper end with the destruction of evil on earth and in heaven. Chapter 11, where we're at last week and this week, views the history of Persia, which is right here, you Persian empire, history of Persia and Greece, what comes after them that conquers them, the successors of Alexander the Great from a theological perspective. Now, and again, I said these are types and shadows. Uh, the last attempt at world domination, which we're going to be talking about next week in Revelation. So it's world domination. But the point here is that it's history from a theological perspective. Because normally when you read history, you don't see God's involvement. It just says, this king came, they had that war, this happened, that happened. But you don't see God's involvement. So with Daniel, you're seeing history that already happened Things that are going to come, they're actually played out, and things are going to be coming at the end of the age. But you see it through God's involvement, because God's involved in all things. See, the world doesn't happen and then God reacts. God starts everything in motion and the world reacts. Right? But God controls the action. And so that's why in the Old Testament, they do not give power of anything, good or bad, to anyone other than God. So in other words, in the Old Testament, if a woman could not bear children, they say they, they would say, well, God closed up the womb. Or they would say, God opened the womb. They don't say, well, the devil did this and the devil did that. They don't do that. Everything is from God controls all things. This idea of the devil controlling things is relatively new. That's in our lifetime. That's where that kind of theology came up. Well, the devil did this, the devil did that. Well, you know, he's just a fallen messenger. He can't create anything. He can't. It's just schemes, you know, of the evil one. So you you have to understand it in that that sort of context. So, uh, Daniel chapter 11. We're going to pick up where we were last time. We're talking about Antiochus, the fourth... Antiochus Epiphanes, he's the one, he's, he's an evil dictator, he comes out of uh, Greece after Alexander the Great dies, Alexander the Great divides his kingdom, four horns, into four different generals, and then he rises up out of that. And so what we read last week was that there's a civil war going on between uh, the kings of the north and the kings of the south. Antiochus uh, comes out of the uh, north and he wages war against the south. And so that's what they're talking about here. So we'll kind of go over that a little bit. Any thoughts or questions? it's a little self-explanatory. So we're just kind of picking up where we left off last week. So verse 25 of chapter 11. And it says, and he will stir up his strength. Who? Antiochus. Right? Uh, he will stir up his strength and courage against the king of the south with a large army. So the king of the south will mobilize an extremely large and mighty army for war. But he will not stand, for schemes will be devised against him. Now hold it right there. Remember I said last week that uh, you know Antiochus comes out of the north, he attacks the south, and this is going on right above uh, Egypt, where Egypt and uh, the Sinai and, and, and uh, the land of Canaan kind of come together. And I said, remember in the movie uh, Patton, where it starts out and Patton is talking about a war. And he's talking about, in, 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 and he's in Egypt. And he goes out and he sees a battlefield, and he's talking about the Carthaginians against the so-and-so but he's actually talking about this war. And then he says, because he believed in reincarnation, which is you know, not true, but he believed it, and he says, well, I was there. And so that's one of the opening scenes in, the, in, the, in that movie, and I just thought it was interesting, because this is what he's talking about, that particular battle that goes on there. So two large armies coming against each other. Verse 26. And those who eat his choice food will destroy him, and his army will overflow, but many will fall down. As for both kings, their hearts will be intent on evil, and they will speak lies to each other at the same table, but it will not succeed, for the end is still to come at the appointed time. Kind of think about that, the appointed time. Verse 28, then he will return to his land with much plunder, but his heart will be set against the Holy Covenant. Now the Holy Covenant is God's word, right? And he will take action and then return to his own land. At the appointed time, he will return and come into the south, but this last time it will not turn out the way it did before. For ships of Kittim will come against him; therefore, he will be disheartened, and will return, and become enraged at the holy covenant, and take action, so that so he will come back and show regard for those who forsake the holy covenant. And forces from him will arise, desecrate the sanctuary, fortresses, do away with the regular sacrifice and they will set up the abomination of desolation. Verse 32. And by smooth words he will return to godliness those who act wickedly towards the covenant, but the people who know their God will display strength and take action. And those who have insight among the people will give understanding to the many. Yet they will fall by the sword and by flame, by captivity, by plunder for many days. Now when they fall, they will be granted a little help, and many will join with them in hypocrisy. And some of those who have insight will fall in order to refine, purge, and make them pure until the end time because it is still to come at the appointed time. This is basically in a nutshell just talking about these two are going to do battle. The first battle Antiochus wins big. The second battle, he comes back, and he comes back even meaner, uh, a, a little bit stronger. Uh, eventually, we're going to find out he, does, he doesn't he does win. But this is where uh, his story, history notes, that he goes into the temple. He ransacks the temple. He destroys everything in there. He sacrifices a pig on the altar. He declares himself to be a deity uh, he just does everything against God, which is Antichrist. So again, when you when you read of him and his things, you, you realize that each one of these kingdoms is a little bit worse than the one before, a little bit less godly than the one before. Because remember, Nebuchadnezzar listened to God a little bit. Mm-hmm. The Medo-Persian kings, they, they, for a little bit, they didn't really gravitate towards it. But here and here, it's just, no, uh -uh. they're not listening at all. And eventually, when the Antichrist comes, it it doesn't uh, 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 get better. It gets worse. So he's he's trying to expand his kingdom by attacking the south. And the south goes all the way down to Egypt. Because at that point, they're in control of Egypt. Egypt is no longer uh, what it once was. So they're in control of Egypt. So when it says the south, it's not just the south part of Israel. It's going all the way down into uh, Egypt. And uh, they call it uh, uh, Cush. That's an an old name for uh, Ethiopia, which is uh, right up in that area there. But the resistance that he gets, especially after he goes into the temple and he desecrates the temples... That's when the Maccabees, it says here, it talks about um, some will uh, resist him. You know, some that are are protectors of the the covenant in a sense. Well, those are the Maccabees. And remember last week I said, you know, in the Christian Bible, you don't have the Apocrypha. In the Catholic Bible, you do. But this is a Bible that I referenced that uh, I use in seminary. New Oxford Bible with apocrypha, which means the, the, the other books, or sometimes it's known as, as the hidden books. And it's those middle books that were put in there uh, by the Roman Catholic Church to differentiate between the Christian Bible. They're not looked upon as, thus saith the Lord, but they are historical references, uh, some good, some bad, but the story of Maccabees is 1st and 2nd Maccabees so the things that the Maccabees do to revolt against Antiochus is written in, Ma- in Maccabees Okay, and Hanukkah comes from this particular time because once they, he dies off uh, God kills him once he dies off we'll get to that in the, in the next verses once he dies off and they get control of the temple area again, they have the first thing that you have to do according to Levitical law, biblical law, is you have to light the menorah. They only had one day's oil, but and it takes eight days to, to create through the uh, uh, the you know the, the the olive press and all that to create new oil. Well, the candle stayed lit for eight days until new oil was, was processed. And so that's the story of Hanukkah. That's why you have the menorah with the different candles, so every day you light, during, the, during that time, you, you light another candle, and it, and it represents this. Sometimes it's known as the festival of lights. Uh, and uh, Jesus, it talks about Matthew, I believe it is. It says Jesus is in the portico, in Solomon's, in Solomon's portico in the temple during the festival of lights. So it's not one of the seven feasts of Israel. It wasn't a commandment of God. But he's in the temple because it, it gives honor and praise and glory to God because the whole purpose, the whole point of Hanukkah is that God kept it lit. Miracle. And so that's a story. That's that's a Hanukkah story. So in here you have uh, the uh, uh, the apocrypha. You know, it's, it's, it's Tobit, Judith... Uh, There's another version of Daniel in here. It it doesn't parallel Daniel's. Wisdom of Solomon. Some other things in here. And there's uh, additional psalms. They were not deemed canonical. They were not deemed part of the uh, Bible. But they are somewhat of a historical record. And uh, remember I said last uh, week that when Christopher Columbus was trying to get money from Queen Isabella to sail to the new lands or whatever, um, you know, he was trying to convince her that the earth was round. And there was no evidence of this, other than the fact that when, like I said last week, when he saw a ship sail and then the farther it, it got away... The the the, uh, the, the sail got smaller and smaller, so he theorized, well, there's a curvature there. But the other thing that he, he what he read here, and he read this to uh, Isabella. Second, Ecdos. It's it's from the Apocrypha. It's just one little line in here, uh, chapter six, verse forty-two. It says, on the third day, he's talking about it's talking about creation. It says, on the third day, you commanded the waters to be gathered together. A seventh part of the earth, six parts from dried up and kept that some yada yada. But the point is here that he took this and he understood. On the third day, you commanded the waters to be gathered together. The waters come together. So in other words, if the earth is flat, the waters are not together because it ends. So him and a few other people were looking at this and saying, "This is telling us that." the waters, the oceans are linked. So he felt that he, he actually felt that when he took off, he was going to end up back here. He didn't realize how far it was, you know. And uh, uh, so, but that's kind of the thing that he used there. So if you want to look at this later, or if you ever want to pick up a copy of this, it's, it's just a good thing to have. It's a good deal. It's, it, it's not necessary but it's New Revised Standard Version. And New Revised Standard Version is a version they use in seminary. They use this in New American Standard, which, which I read from. They're the most literal transa- translations of the Bible uh, because they go back. Most translations are copies of copies. They're copies of the King James, which is a copy of a copy. And, but what these do, they go back to the original documents as we have them in the, 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 the Dead Sea Scrolls. And uh, they they translate new. It doesn't change it. It just makes it very liberal. This is what it, So if you want an extremely liberal translation, that's it. You know. So thoughts, questions on that? Because we're going to continue with Antiochus. It is, uh, he, he it doesn't go well for him. So verse chapter eleven, verse thirty six. Then the king will do as he pleases, and he will exalt and magnify himself above every god. And again, when we get next week, well, not next week, but eventually when we start Revelation, this is what the Antichrist does. He he says he's God. So, again, this is just showing how these world leaders, the, how their wickedness and what they do gets worse and worse and worse to so eventually... You know, it's just not enough to have power. It's not enough to have money. It's not enough to have kingdoms. Now, now you want political power. That's not enough. Now you have to have religious power. So it's, you know, man's greed uh, and, and hunger shows no limit because of our sin nature. Right? So again, it goes back to the garden trying to be as God. What did Satan? He fell because why? He's trying to be as, as God. So verse 36, And the king will do as he pleases, and he will exalt and magnify himself above every god, and will speak monstrous things against the god of gods. In in other words, Yahweh. And he will prosper until the indignation is finished, for that which is decreed will be done. And he will show no regard for the gods of his fathers, or for the desire of women, nor will he show regard for any other god, for he will magnify himself above them all. Right? He's he's above all the gods now, right? In his own mind, anyway. Verse 38. But instead, he will honor a god of fortresses, a god whom his father did not know. He will honor him with gold, silver, costly stones, and treasure. And he will take action against the strongest of fortresses with the help of a foreign god. He will give great honor to those who acknowledge him, and he will cause them to rule over the many. And will parcel out land for a price. And at the end time, the king of the south will collide with him. And the king of the north will storm against him with chariots, with horsemen, with many ships. He will enter countries, overflow them, and pass through. He will also enter the beautiful land. This is the land of Canaan. And many countries will fall. But these will be rescued out of his hand, Edom, Moab, and the foremost of the sons of Oman. That's kind of like present-day Saudi Arabia. Then he will stretch out his hand against other countries, and the land of Egypt will not escape. In other words, he's going down into Egypt and causing havoc. But he will gain control over the hidden treasure of gold and silver and over all the precious things of Egypt. The Libyans, the Ethiopians will follow at his heels. But rumors from the east and from the north will disturb him, and he will go forth with great wrath to destroy and annihilate many. And he will pitch the tents of his royal pavilion between the seas and the beautiful holy mountain. Yet he will come to his end, and no one will help him. Now let me go back and explain it a little bit verse 36. Then the king will do as he pleases, and he will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will speak monstrous things against the god of gods, and he will prosper until the indignation is finished for that which is decreed will be done. Blasphemy. He's speaking out against God. He's blaspheming against God. Right? He's above God. He's above all the other gods. Now, Based on what we've been talking, why does God allow this to happen?
1: To accomplish
0: um, what He had planned to begin with? Yeah, they're still under judgment from disobeying Him back from the time of, of Jeremiah and before. When the prophets came and said, if you don't do right, if you don't return to God, uh, you're going to be taken off the land. And so just because now that they're trickling back to the land does not mean that the judgment is over. That's why when we talked about the 70 weeks and the 70 years, which, you know, which you know, ends up being, you know, 70 times 7, it's, it's talking about this time frame that they're going to be under judgment until Messiah comes. And then it talks about, and then he will be, as we read, it says, and then the Messiah will be cut off. We're going to be reading about this in Revelation as well. The Messiah will be cut off. That's that. Remember, we did that from the date that the, the, the decree was given in the time of uh, Darius. You can track the days right to Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem where he was supposed to be honored as king. And as I say, he goes into an empty temple. And the high priests are not there to proclaim him to be King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and so at that point he is cut off. And uh, then it says that there are still seven years to be accounted for, and those seven years are going to be picked up when we do Revelation, because there's seven years that are still to be played out: three and a half years of where the Antichrist comes, makes peace; three and a half years of utter destruction. The Messiah comes, and we'll be talking about that more. But the seeds of this stuff is in Daniel, you know, and so. But it's it's a little clearer as you get uh, into uh, Revelation, and I'll explain that in a second. So here, Antiochus, this guy who's just evil, and, and you know, he, he's yeah, he's anti all right. He's an, he's an antichrist of types. Anybody that opposes God is an antichrist. We know at the end of the age, there's going to be the antichrist but anyone that opposes God is Antichrist,
1: right?
0: They're Antichrist. Then in verse 37, and he will show no regard for the gods of his fathers, nor for the desire of women, nor will he show regard for other gods, and he will magnify himself above them all. What well, it talks about women, uh, it can be translated God loved by women. And what it's a reference to it's a it's a reference to uh, Dionysus, who was uh, um, a fertility god. and was big in Egypt and was big in uh, in Syria, and there was a a lot of that kind of stuff going on. and it, it was it was a reference to that. Uh, later on, you have the goddess uh, Artemis, which is also uh, Diana, which is a fertility cult. Uh, based around women, and so when it says there uh, about the women, he's referring to those that uh, uh, it was the, w- women's worship. Is what he's talking about in there. Uh, who was a, who was a god from Syria and Egypt? Again, the reason women were worshipped and in the, in the reason they had fertility cults is because men cannot reproduce, and they didn't understand why a woman could, and how this happened. And again, pagan people when they don't understand anything, they turn it into a god. And they worship it. Mistletoe was worshipped because they didn't understand how it showed up on the tree. Because it's not planted, it just shows up. And they worshipped it. And Back in the day, they they, they used to call it all heals. You know, not heals, but all heals as in heals your body. And you would put it on your doorpost in your house. And it was kind of like a good luck charm. Well, when people, when the church came now, later on, years later, and the church saw all these things, the church now said, we got to change these things. And so rather than take all these things away, they said, no, it represents love now. And so that's where they don't do it anymore. But when I was a kid, it used to be in the Christmas season... You know, you would hang mistletoe, and the idea was that if you were under the mistletoe, that aunt was going to come looking for you, and she Mm -hmm. was going to give you that kiss, and you did your best to get away from her, you know, because that kiss was coming, but it represented love. But it all came out of this idea of worshipping something they didn't understand. You know, and they even worshipped evergreen, because evergreen was that, it was evergreen, and they didn't understand how evergreen Trees and leaves did not fade. Everything else fell off. And so this one particular plant didn't. And so they worshipped it. And they, again, they had wreaths and they would hang on other things. The church came in. They said, no, 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 we can't have that. So now the evergreen represents God is eternal and the red berry represents the blood of Christ. But, but see, it, it comes from pagan worship. See? Aren't you glad you showed up? He came in. Anyway. Uh, so let's see verse 38 but instead he will honor a god of fortresses this is interesting a god whom his fathers did not know so in other words he's going to create a god of a fortress in, in other words a military god uh, his fathers did not know and he will honor him with gold silver costly stones and treasures what he did was he built a fortress right by Jerusalem and it was a uh, uh, very elaborate but it was a fortress where he was it was not like the war room. This is where all the war stuff happened and, and it went out and it was dedicated to Zeus, to Jupiter and Zeus. Those are the gods of war. So when you see Jupiter the god of war. Zeus, god of war. Uh so and by the way, you know the planets were all named after Greek, Greek gods. So I'm not sure why, but uh, but anyway, so he has his fortress now that he's now worshiping in a sense his military might. So it's like he's creating like almost like a new religion based upon warfare, whose heads are are, are Jupiter and and Zeus. Uh, let's see that's what I say. Verse 39, he will take action against the strongest of fortresses with the help of a foreign god. He will give great honor to those who acknowledge him, and he will cause them to rule over many. In other words, those that are willing to submit to him, he uses. You know, and he will, he will use them because he's powerful, and if you make a treaty with them, like all rulers do, you know, it's like in World War II. Uh, you know, Italy made peace treaty and only to have it change in the middle of the, of the, of the war because they realized, you know, they they'd sided with the wrong size. So the, the bottom line here is those that will submit to him, he honors. And, and he'll parcel out land. He'll allow them to do this. He'll allow them to do that because he's the big chief. He's the, he's the big kahuna for that, that particular time. And he's just a book diabolical. And then one day he's in war. He's hearing rumors of the wars from the north and the east and he's getting ready to do battle against them and he's in his chariot. This is in Maccabees. He's in his chariot and it says that God strikes him and he falls out of his chariot uh, breaks his legs I believe and and dies on the ground. But the point here is that he didn't do this god did this and the fact that he was able to do this was part of god using this as judgment now think about this that these people are under judgment and so he's telling them because you didn't obey me because you didn't follow me because you didn't listen to jeremiah you didn't listen to ezekiel you know you didn't listen to the minor prophets you didn't you didn't heed My words, this is what happens. You're no longer on the land and that place that was once the Holy of Holies, that place where you worship me, someone as diabolical and evil as this comes in because what? You did not do what you said you were going to do. And he holds holds them accountable from Mount Sinai because remember the law was given to Mount Sinai and God says, if you will do this, I will do that. And the people ratify it and they say, yes, we will do it. And then not long after, they start sinning and messing up again. And then God's dealing with them, dealing with them, you know, over the centuries and whatever. But eventually, you know, it says God is long-suffering. Yeah, he's long-suffering, but eventually the hammer comes down. And, and, And this is the judgment that they were under. And a lot of times people don't like to talk about it or reference the fact that the nation of Israel is still under that judgment. Because they would rather say, well, we're the promised promised land and we're we're God's children and we're blessed and yada, yada, yada. But there was a reason you weren't on the land for 2,000 years. There's a reason that you are still being persecuted even though you have victories in the middle of persecution you're 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 not in control of the land the way you were. There's a reason why you don't have peace, because if they were following God and doing that, there would be peace all around
1: them. But there isn't.
0: So before I go into the next part, any thoughts or questions? Yeah.
1: Yeah, in verse thirty-nine, uh, it says uh, with the help of a foreign god. Mm-hmm. Is that a, a demon or just maybe someone? just just
0: the idea that the other countries and they bring their gods in, you know he got he got help from um, he got help from I'm trying to think who it is they were um, they were Syrians um, but they had a, a different name uh, and they lived up in that land and they 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 worship fire and nature and and all this stuff and so. They were part of those, you'd have to really break it down history-wise, those that aligned themselves with with him, you'd have to read the history books. But those nations, they aligned themselves with him because they were willing to submit to them. So they brought their gods and he allowed them to do that rather than say no because he was using them for their might and their political um, strategy. And so, yeah, rulers and conquerors, they allow certain things to exist as long as they benefit from it. Once they stop benefiting, mm. you know, it's, uh, uh, you know, peace treaties aren't always what, what, what you think they are. So it's basically, that closes out all the dreams and visions. And again, the dreams and visions are just showing world empires... Each one is worse and more evil than the one before it. That's the bottom line to Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar, the ones that took him off the land. Medo-Persian Empire, the ones that allowed him to come back. Greece, which is uh, during the time of Christ, they they ruled that land. uh, Brought by Alexander the Great, that's why the New Testament is written in Greek. That was the language of the learned. Then Rome comes in, conquers Greece. Uh, Rome becomes the uh, thing during the time of Christ and uh, and right after, and eventually they lose power. And uh, now we are in that uh, harvest age of the church. Historically, now we are in it's we are in the church age because the church age is after all this, but before the end time event. We'll get into that. In, in the next couple of weeks. So any thoughts, questions on that before we go further?
1: Um, not exactly on that, but you were talking about um, how the church has sort of ad- adopted and uh, like some of the, um, the mistletoe, things like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you think that's comparable to what the children of Israel did in bringing, you know, the pagan gods from other countries and...
0: Somewhat, but what the church tried to do was turn it into a worship of God. So in other words, rather than worship uh, um, the mistletoe, they said it was about love and God is love, love generates from God. Rather than the worship of the reef in the evergreen, uh, because you know it, it doesn't fade whatever no it now means God is eternal. we have eternal life and it's now as opposed to pagan gods that worship anything but this God. pagan gods worship nature in one form or another. That's what they do. They do not they do not acknowledge the creator they acknowledge the creation and they they worship that which has been created. And that's even witchcraft, Wicca. You know, they mm. they worship nature and all this stuff. Oh, well, we're good. We just worship nature. Yeah, but you leave the Creator out. And that's a problem. Yeah. Is that a question? So now, chapter 12, it's a new topic. And it's going to end time events. It says, now, at that time... Now, when God says at the appointed times, as, as we read earlier, and now at, at this time, what it's a reference to is that now God's allowing this to happen. At this time, God is now directing the action towards this. As opposed, as like, but it says now at this time, look at your chapter, uh, the same, the same, same chapter, chapter 12, verse 4. But it's for you, Daniel, conceal these words, seal up the book until the end of time. So it's it's the same idea. Now it's the time to reveal this. Now it's the time to close this. It's the same sort of language. But it's language in the original Hebrew that God is directing this action. So, now at this time, verse 1 of chapter 12. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise Mm -hmm. and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at the time your people, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. What does this sound like? You go up to heaven. You go up to heaven? What gets you to go up to heaven? to be saved and your name is written in the book book of life in Revelation we'll get to that where it talks about life so here is a reference he says now at that time Michael the great prince again this is talking about the archangel again spiritual warfare in heavenly places stands guard over the sons of your people will arise and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred now what we read in Revelation we're going to talk about this is There's never been a war like this before. This is going to be the end of the war of wars, worst of worst. Such as never occurred, there was a nation until that time, and at that time your people, everyone who is found, written in the book, will be rescued. Okay, so the idea here is if your name is written in the book of life, you will be rescued, you will be saved. So now it's a reference and again the New Testament is this is being written the New Testament Jesus is still 430 450 years off so there's no New Testament there's no you know saying you know something so when Jesus comes in, in a salvation now through Christ our names are written in the book of life right and we're going to get to that in, in Revelation, that's why I said, with Daniel, we need we need to transition to Revelation because there's there's a lot of crossover. Yeah, Larry. Uh, yeah, there it says, but at that
1: time your people. Is that referring to uh, Jewish believers?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Yeah, at that, at that time again. See, this is pre Christ, mm-hmm. so his people, your people, it's the Jewish people, and we were and we are what we are grafted into that, right? So we're part of that lineage. So, again, here's the point. That the church is just the natural progression from let there be light. So in other words, the church in Judaism weren't supposed to be two separate entities. They were supposed to recognize Jesus in the beginning and we just would have took off and, and, and flourished. Some did. And we're, we're going to talk about that in a second. But that's just the natural progression, just like the natural progression from Genesis to Exodus to, you know, through Deuteronomy to Joshua and the things that are revealed. Well, that was the next progression. But not everybody went along with it any more than everybody went along with everything God said in the Old Testament. That's why they were under judgment. Right? That's why we need a Savior. So, uh, verse 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. What does that sound like?
1: Resurrection and judgment.
0: Yeah. Resurrection and judgment. Um, We know we we return to the ground and then we are resurrected. Um, Read it again. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. Now, many of those will awake, you know, to eternal life. Not everybody is going to make it into eternal life. Who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. These to everlasting life, but others to disgrace. So they're going to awake to disgrace, which is being thrown into the lake of fire, right? From Revelation. To disgrace and everlasting contempt. So again, this is a picture of the end end of times. Just a note, you don't have to turn to it, but Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes, you write it down. Chapter 12, verse 6. Seven. this is an important scripture I think most people don't know this scripture it says then the dust will return to the earth as it was, talking about life will return to the dust and the spirit will return to God who gave it so in other words when we say that while well, this body is just temporal it to return to dust but what lives on? you have to have a biblical antecedent for that. That's your biblical antecedent, right there. Besides, you know, things that that Jesus says, we'll have eternal life with him, but this is your your, your thing for resurrection right here in the Old Testament. So it says that, that, how will we be reborn? Spirit. Why must man be born again? Spirit must be reborn, because the body is meant for decay body is going to turn to dust, but it's it's the spirit being that is is reborn. It's the spirit being that now gets the new body, lives eternally. So that's Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. Uh, Good. Make sense? Verse 3. And those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. In other words, it's saying those who are wise, like in chapter 11, verses 32 to 33. Let me read it, because we read it and we kind of went over it. Is thirty-two, chapter 11 verse 32 and by smooth words who will return to godliness those who act wickedly towards a covenant this is talking about Antiochus and those that act w- wickedly but the people who knew their God will display strength and take action so in other words they know this isn't of God they're going to stand up for what's right what is godly in verse 33 and those who have insight among the people will give understanding to the many. Now, going back to what we just read, chapter 12, verse 3, And those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead the many to righteousness will righteousness through Jesus Christ, like the stars forever and ever. will live forever like the stars forever and ever. The point here is that even in the time of Christ, you know, a lot of times they say, well, the Jewish people forsake Christ yes some did but others received and they accepted you know the majority of the apostles were Jewish you know the early church for the first 30 40 years was predominantly Jewish it wasn't until after 78d that Christianity moves up into Europe and it becomes less and less uh, Jewish in in nature and in flavor but uh, the point here is that those that have insight, those that are willing to follow scripture, they're going to be teaching others this is the way, right? And so that was the problem in Jesus' time. There were those that were following him, but then there were those that refused to follow for their own reasons or whatever. So it's the same in times, events, there's going to be those that are going to have insight. It's just like today we look and we read this and we see this is this this ratifies this shows there is a god this shows god does have a plan it this shows that this is coming and all this all the stuff is lining up and so we teach these things and we direct people this way to show them this is what god has said you know and again it's history through the eyes it's it's theological history understanding that let there be light is Alpha and Omega, that God is active throughout the course of history, and if we don't acknowledge that, then we take God out of history, and that means then we can just do whatever we want to do, as opposed to, no, God orders, There was a definite beginning, there's a definite end. That's what Alpha and Omega means. There's a definite beginning, there's a definite end. And at the appointed times, these things happen. It talks about Christ. At the appointed time... Messiah comes at the appointed time he's going to go on the cross all, all these things are appointed times right okay uh, let's see chapter verse 4 but as for you Daniel conceal these words seal up the book until the end of time many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase So what is he saying seal up the book? Why? Because it's not time. It's not time. And there's a lot of things here you're not going to get. Because you don't understand it. Right? something. See, we stand at a marvelous time in history because we can see all these things. Oh, gosh, that's this. That's that. These people didn't, didn't see this. It's like in Revelation when it talks about fire and brimstone raining down, you know. And they say, "Well, well, it's like fire," but then you say, "Well, just look at a missile attack." And if you could not explain it, if you lived three thousand years ago, how are you going to explain a missile attack if you saw it? Fire raining down from heaven. Now we look at it and say, "No, that's guided missile." That's you know, there's, there's another passage where I forget where it is. And, you know, it talks about it, you know, and, and it had eyes and whatever. And yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, man, that's an Apache attack helicopter. Mm-hmm. You know, just coming up over over the horizon. But he can't say it's a helicopter, or because he has no clue. They don't know that. So he says, seal it up, because as time goes by, knowledge is going to increase, and people will begin to understand it. So now we have more knowledge. So now, as Jesus says, you know, when when is the hour? When is the day? Well, we're not going to know the hour or day, but we're going to know the season. We're going to know the time frame because we can we can read the tea leaves, as they say. Maybe that's a little heretical. We can read what the uh-huh. Bible says. No tea leaves. Forget I did say that. Scratch that from the record. So at the proper time, people will understand. That's why God gave us his word, so, so that we will understand, so that we will know what God, is, what God is doing, so we can be ready, so we can preach it, so we can teach it, so we can make people aware of what's going on, All right? Verse 5 to 10, we'll close this up here. Then I, Daniel, looked and behold, two others were standing, one on this bank and the river and the other on the bank of the other. And one said to the man dressed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be until the end of these things? Now, you know, he's, he's, he's seeing kind of, you know, this little vision here is kind of like an, you know, angelic deal. And he wants to know, when is this going to happen? How long will it be until the end of these wonders? Verse 7. And I heard the man dressed in linen, again, linen, this represents heaven, this represents priesthood. Um, who was above the waters of the river. He raised his right hand and his left towards heaven. So in other words, he, he did this.
1: Right?
0: Towards heaven and swore by him, capital H, by God, who lives forever, that it would be for a time, times and a half. Now again, remember what we talked about a while ago? Couple of weeks ago, times time and a half, that's three and a half years. That's why we're going to go into Revelation. We're going to get more insight into the three and a half years. So we saying, when is it going to happen? Well, there's going to be three and a half years, and another three and a half years. Uh, just a little forever will be a time, time and a half. And as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. As for me, I heard but could not understand, so I said, My Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? See, Daniel doesn't understand any more than John's revelation. He doesn't understand what he's seeing either. He can't because it's too far ahead of him. Right? Verse 9, and he said, Go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end time." Many will be purged, purified, refined, but the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. This is all future tense. You know, it says you know, there's going to be you know, evil people. They're not going to respond to this, but there's going to be others who will. We live in a world today that's what? You've got church against the world. You've got believers against unbelievers. You've got a spiritual warfare going on where they're trying to eliminate any any church authority in any realm whatsoever. And then you have the church trying to now regain what we've lost, in a sense. So he says, seal all this up. It won't be opened until the end time. Uh, part of this is... We will have greater understanding at the end time, but it also ties into, and we're going to get to it in our study in Revelation. Who's the one that unseals it? Oh, Christ! Are these the Christ. seals that are being broken? Yes. Okay. The, in heaven, the seals that are broken, revealing all the end time events. So when we when we get to Revelation, we're going to talk about about the seals. The seal is broken in the judgment. We're going to be talking about the trumpet which is a sound mm-hmm. saying that this is what's going to be happening, and then you're going to have the bowl mm-hmm. being poured out on the earth. Mm-hmm. It's three different accounts of the end time. But it starts with the only one who's worthy to break the seal. Mm-hmm. And the only yeah. one that was found worthy is Jesus Christ. Yeah. See? So this is, this is Daniel here. Uh, let's close it out. Verse 11, and from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Again, going back to the 70 times 7 stuff we talked about a couple weeks ago. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335. In other words, to the end when it's all said and done. Uh, But as for you, go your way to the end. Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. He tells Daniel, go, go your way. You're going you're to die, but you will be there in the end. You will rise again. That's Daniel right there. But again, the key to Daniel, world domination. Each world dominator is worse than the one that comes before it. So that's why when when we look at the world today and we say, how are things, things were never this bad before. Well, look at Daniel. Yeah, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse yet. You know, but we don't know how long before the end comes. We don't know is that, you know, obviously it's, it's not going to be tomorrow, but it's going to be in the... Uh, in, uh, in a time frame that we are going to somehow know. Remember, if you're wondering what's the time frame, the last thing prophetically that has to be done is the temple has to be rebuilt. So the temple's not being rebuilt. They want to rebuild it, but it's not being rebuilt. And that the reason that's key, because we're going to read in Revelation, that that is the temple that the Antichrist goes into and proclaims himself to be God that starts the final three and a half years of destruction. So even if they started to build it tomorrow, it's going to take X amount of years to build it, but it doesn't mean once it's done, the Antichrist shows up the next day. Because if we read in here, it could be 50 years, 100 years, 300, we don't know. Yeah, right. I've
1: been hearing stuff about the Iron Dome in Jerusalem. I I don't know, being built or... Something going
0: on with the Iron Dome in Jerusalem. i not sure about the Iron Dome, but in Jerusalem, they want to rebuild them. the temple. Yeah. Because technically, Judaism is built around sacrifice, uh-huh. and they haven't had sacrifice for 2,100 years, uh, since 70 AD. Uh, the other reference, the Iron Dome, sometimes is reference to the Dome of the Rock, which is a Muslim shrine. So when you see Jerusalem now, you'll see a dome. That's not where the temple was. But you'll see see it this way. You'll see the dome of the rock over here, and then you'll see a border gate in a flat area here. This was the area where the temple was. And what's interesting in Revelation, it talks about measure it, and then when you build it, do not disturb the buildings of the Gentiles, the others. Well, this is their building, so I mean, just think about Muslims who control that area. If you tried to say, "Oh, by the way, we're going to blow up your shrine to Muhammad and we're going to build our mm-hmm. temple," but that's not going to work. Holy mm-hmm. war. Yeah, and so they're going to build the temple here. Don't disturb their stuff. You can build it here, and you know uh, we'll get into all that stuff with the Western Gate and all that I talked about before, but. Um, It all lines up. So Daniel just gives us a glimpse, and he gives us types and shadows of the Antichrist. So from Nebuchadnezzar all the way down to Antiochus, uh, and then even Rome and all that stuff, you can see types and shadows of the Antichrist. You can see types and shadows of what one world domination is going to look like. It's going to be complete. They're going to... Is, is going to want to politically, socially, economically, uh, religiously, total domination. Total, complete domination. That's why Antiochus proclaimed, one, proclaimed himself to be God. The Antichrist, the same thing. Here. It's a type in shadow. And so that's the final blasphemy. That's the final... Uh, that lights the match. And after that, it's three and a half years of destruction. But we're going to get into Revelation. What I'm going to do with Revelation is I'm just going to lightly go over the first four chapters, which are just basically words to the church, and then we're going to get into uh, the end time stuff. You know, and uh, um, Unless you want me to do the front part. I don't know. It's up to you guys. But I just thought that we could pick it up where it starts talking about the seals and what is referenced to end time events because the first three chapters, four chapters don't really re- represent, represent end time events it represents churches and how churches have gone astray but then the revelation to John is now he's taken up into heaven and he sees the final stage and so that's what I was thinking thinking and going from there so, thoughts, questions, comments? Yeah, very. I'm a
1: little confused. You got uh, three and a half years, which is 1,260 days on the Jewish calendar. And then in verse 11, you you tag on an extra month, Jewish month. And then in verse 12, after that, you got another month and a half. And uh, <laughs> what's it all mean?
0: <laughs> they rectify that by the difference between the Jewish calendar and our calendar where we have an extra 4 days so every every year we're tacking on an extra 4 days so you got to you have to figure those those days in yeah, I but I what mean, yeah what we go from 1260 to
1: 1290 to 1335 mm-hmm. and um, Maybe that's that sealed up and we don't
0: know why. <laughs> but basically, what it is, because remember we, we talked about, he talked about 490 years. Yeah. And he says, but then, in 483 years, that, that, the countdown stops. Right. And that's when Jesus is cut off there. And so there's still the seven years that are, that are left. That's the three and a half and the three and a half. And so those yeah, uh, you read the commentaries, they'll basically tell you it's the difference between what they call the Judeo calendar and what do they call our calendar? The, uh, the Julian calendar? Or the what? Julian? I don't Something know, like yeah. Uh, it's, it's a calendar. Because again, there's still discrepancy on when you went down 10, 9, 8, 1, then was the next year zero? Or oh, was it one there's still there's still <laughs> discrepancy on that they, they they don't really know how to rectify that so there's a couple other things like that they don't know when did that actually start there's, I've read some other things that said there was actually three to four years in between the implementation of those calendars so th- that could be that could be off there that's why sometimes they say Jesus went on the cross in the year 30 and other times they say he went on the year he went on the cross in the year 33. Well, that's just how they see the calendar on there. Uh, I think I tend to go with 33, but that's just
1: it reminds me of a funny Christmas card I, I saw one time that has a couple of um, women talking in way back when in Jesus' time and, uh, right after he's born. And, and one lady's telling another lady, I, yeah, I keep forgetting to write... Uh, AD instead of BC on my checks.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (coughs) Yeah, now it's BCE or whatever. But anyway, yeah. So anyway, yeah. Any other thoughts, questions? You good? Okay, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you again for this time. We thank you for the book of Daniel, Lord, even though we sort of walked over Daniel. Lord, there's so much deeper that we could go. But Lord, it is my prayer that uh, we nurtured the soil there, Lord, so that as we reread Daniel and as we reference Daniel uh, in the years to come and months to come, and weeks to come, Lord, that we will begin to see what we didn't see before. We'll be able to understand what we didn't understand before because you reveal, Lord, as we need it to be revealed that you don't always reveal every single thing to us every time we read, that it is such a blessing to go into Scripture and read it 10 times and 15 times and continue to find something new that we never saw before. So, Lord, help us to uh, glean greater understanding from Daniel and help this teaching from Daniel uh, edify teaching in Revelation, Lord, next week. So, Father, I just thank you for Uh, This time, Lord, we just give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.